Last Sunday when I got up here, I mentioned uh, asking people to pray for Carrie because obviously we knew winter weather was coming and she was flying down to Alabama. And as soon as the service finished, before church, Carrie was trying to book a flight earlier in the day to move up her time. And uh, I wouldn't let her send it through on the, on the website. And as soon as church finished, she goes, I was able to get the flight. And I thought to myself, one of you guys wasn't paying attention during the sermon and was praying for Carrie instead, apparently. But, um, we'll be in the Gospel of John, just John this morning, chapter 9. And this will be a first in our series of John where we'll preach an entire chapter in one sermon. I feel like we usually average about four sermons per chapter, but we're going to do all of chapter 9. It's one story. It's one of my personal favorite stories in the Gospel of John where Jesus heals a man born blind. And I am going to do something a little bit different this morning. This is something I, I don't really like to do. I'm going to read a section of the passage. Um, I pretty much quote the entire passage every week in the body of the sermon. And this is such a long passage. Um, and we had a pretty long passage last week. And I could see some, some eyes a little bit glazed over by the end. So... Um, <laughs> I'm not in any way trying to undermine the significance of God's holy word. Um, but I, I think there's times... I preached a sermon last year on Psalm 119. We also didn't read all of Psalm 119 because that would have basically been the entire time that we had. Um, so we'll read a, really the kind of the first scene of this passage and then we'll look at the entire story. Uh, John chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who, who sent me while it is day, Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your holy word. Lord, we pray for our time in this word today. Lord, I thank you for everyone here today, for the church that we have. Lord, I pray for all of us that we continue to be sanctified as your people, growing 
in truth and in the knowledge of you, honoring you with our lives, living lives which are pleasing to you, pursuing greater and greater holiness as we seek to love you and love our neighbor. Lord, we continue to pray for Marsha and her recovery from this back surgery. And Lord, such a, a long road on those types of surgeries. And just pray day by day, getting better, feeling better, healing. Lord, we continue to pay, pray for Suzanne Bruns and the major surgery that she has coming up as well. Lord, and we pray for that to go well. We pray for the doctors who will be operating. We pray for her recovery with that. Lord, we pray for a success in that surgery. Lord, we continue to pray for Pam Armstrong. Lord, and we praise you for the recovery that she has made. And just continue to pray as she's back at home and recuperating, Lord, for her to get stronger, to get better. Lord, we, we pray for her. Lord, we also pray for Jean Ryder as she's been moved into a facility to continue recuperating after breaking her hip and just... Lord, pray for her as well, every day, just getting, getting a little bit better as she recovers from that injury. Lord, we pray that you bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Sight to the blind. When he was three years old, Mike May was blinded in a freak chemical explosion in his family's garage. Without his sight, May was forced to do what all blind people must do. He lived his life. And he was living a full life. At the 1984 Paralympics, he won three bronze medals for skiing. He also held the downhill skiing record for a blind person of 65 miles per hour. He got married and had kids. In 1999, he had an experimental eye surgery and his eyesight was restored. More on him later. In our passage this morning in John 9, Jesus restores sight to a man born blind. An incredible sign and miracle. Certainly, it shows his power, but as with other signs from Jesus that we see in John's gospel, it also points us to a deeper reality. The whole world is blind. Blind to sin. Blind to our unworthiness before God. And during his ministry... Jesus is opening people's eyes to who he is, God on earth. And that's really the main idea of this passage this morning, that Jesus came to give sight to a blind world. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus encounters this man who has been blind since birth. And his disciples question how this man is in this situation, beginning in verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. They're trying to figure out who sinned that this man would receive this punishment. I think this begins us with an important theological point. Because there are still some churches who have this mindset that anytime someone has any affliction with their health, they treat it like it's a punishment or a result of some specific sin that they committed. Now, it's true that all of our afflictions are the result of living in a fallen world, and all of us are part of that. We all sin. 
But this passage is really one of the best examples in the Bible that shows us that just because a person has an illness, a health issue, a handicap, it is not necessarily because the person was stricken with that because of their specific sins. In other words, it's not biblical to think that if a person had not committed a specific sin, that they never would have had that health issue. Jesus responds in verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Again, the point of this isn't that the affliction through which he suffered was to punish the man. I think there might be times where that happens. But we shouldn't assume one way or the other. The response should always be, instead of being concerned about what they did, a concern for loving our neighbor and pointing people to Christ. In this particular situation, in this passage, Jesus is pointing forward to the fact that he's going to work in this man's situation. He says that it is so that the works of God might be displayed through him. It is to bring glory to God through this mighty work of Christ. I think God does that too sometimes. He works through health. He works through afflictions to show his grace and goodness. I'm sure most of us know someone. Maybe some of us are that someone who's had an experience like that. People can grow closer to God in afflictions and difficulties. People in those situations can more greatly experience God's grace. And in this man, Jesus is going to again display a mighty work of God. Verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it over the man's eyes, tells him to wash. The man does this. And for the first time in his life, he can see. He's never seen anything before. He's never seen his parents. He's never seen a star-filled sky or a beautiful sunset. He had walked his entire life in darkness. And here, Jesus opens his eyes. Verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. The people witnessed the man and see that his sight has been restored, and they're astounded. Some suggest that it's not actually even the same guy, but someone who looks like him. But he sets them straight. He says, I am the man. And so naturally the crowd asks, how did this happen? Now, using modern medicine... Surgeries that restore sight to a blind person are still relatively new over the past generation. 
There is no account from the ancient world of a person who was born blind being given their sight. And so the people are a bit perplexed. This is totally unprecedented. They ask him how this happened in verse 10. And the man explains in verse 11. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. That's really the first sort of scene of the story. Second scene. The man is investigated by the Pharisees. Now, we must understand that in Jewish culture, your faith enveloped every aspect of your life. And something so remarkable as a blind man being given sight would have surely warranted the man being presented before the religious leaders. The Old Testament, for the record, did talk about how the Redeemer of Israel would restore sight to the blind. The Pharisees would have undoubtedly been familiar with those scriptures. They were experts in the law. Verses 13 and 14. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. The Pharisees will question how this man received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed And I see, we've already read this man explaining what happened. And what we start to see are basically two different responses. Looking at verse 16. Some of the people in the group said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. That's the first group. They see Jesus healing on the day of rest, and so they question it. Now, healing to save a person's life was allowed on the Sabbath. But restoring sight, well, that should have waited a day. Because they don't look at that as being necessary. Never mind the fact that the reason why he can see is because Jesus performed a miracle that has never been done. Never mind the fact that Jesus is fulfilling what the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah. Never mind the fact that everything Jesus does in his ministry is in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Some in the group want to just focus on, yeah, but he broke the rules. First of all, no, he didn't. Jesus' healing on the Sabbath was not a violation of the Sabbath. Their understanding of the Sabbath was wrong. But that's the first group. The second response that we see is basically, how could a guy who's a sinner do such wonderful signs? And so for the second group, they kind of take a step past the first group. Their question isn't, how could a man who's from God break the rules? Their question is, how could a man do this sign if he was not from God? So they go to the formerly blind man and ask him what he makes of the whole situation. He suggests that he was healed by a prophet. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight. So they're doubting his story. They ask to talk to his parents. Verse 19. Is this your son who you say 
was born blind? Is it they were just lying his entire life? He could see. Is this your son who you say was blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. They go back to the blind man who was healed, who told them he was healed. And that hadn't been enough. And again, here they go to his parents. A lot of biblical scholars think that they keep interrogating the man, interrogating his family, that they keep questioning because they're trying to get someone to contradict themselves. They're trying to get someone to sort of slip up in the story. Verses 21 and 22. But how he's, this is his parents talking, but how he now sees we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. We see the fear from this man's parents. Fear of the Pharisees. They answer direct questions, but they give no speculation. They don't theorize on what happened. They want their son to answer. Because they fear the ramification if they say anything that acknowledges Jesus as the Christ. And so the Pharisees return again to the man and ask him what happened. Anything that they can do to find out the answer that they want. Reminds me of the time I was driving in Chicago and there was a bakery. And I wanted donuts. I knew I shouldn't have had donuts, but I wanted the donuts. And so I made a deal. I said... If I drive by and there's a spot in front of the donut place, I'm going to take that as a sign. <laughs> and would you believe it? On the eighth time around the block, a spot was right there. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They continue interrogating. He answered. The man responds, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? It's almost like the Pharisees are shining a spotlight in his face, interrogating him. Trying to get him to slip up. Trying to find out anything they can use to punish him and to punish Jesus. Trying to discredit Jesus. They call him a sinner. They repeat the previous question asking how Jesus opened his eyes. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He asks, do you also want to become his disciples? I like to think that that was kind of a sarcastic response. Perhaps he senses that the Pharisees aren't interested in really getting to the truth. They keep questioning. Verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They start to get frustrated. They revile him. 
They're insulting and slandering him. They point to, to their teacher as Moses. That's who we follow, Moses. Certainly ironic when you consider that earlier in this gospel, Jesus had talked about how Moses pointed to him. John chapter 5, verses 36 to 38. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then in verse 46, Jesus says, For if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They were trusting in the wrong things. They were trusting in the law. They were trusting in the Old Testament. Moralism. Trusting in their own moral activities and righteousness. And in that process... The experts of the law were oblivious to the fact that the one to whom the scriptures pointed was in their midst. Instead of seeing Jesus as fulfilled in the scriptures, they were more concerned with spending their time conspiring against him, trying to discredit him. Jesus heals this man and they question whether that's a violation of the Sabbath. Jesus created the Sabbath. No person in human history has more perfectly followed the Sabbath. Jesus is God on earth. And to know the scripture, that should have been evident. Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament perfectly. Hundreds of prophecies about Jesus foretold about him. His death and his resurrection are pointed to in the Old Testament. Where he would be born, how he would be born, the events of his life, all pointed to. Jesus is God on earth and is worthy of glory and honor. He died and rose from the dead. He points to the glory of God. In the passage... The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. This formerly blind man has been a beggar. And he's talking to the smartest people in his community. And he's almost taunting them for not getting it. Culturally, he would have been poorly educated. But he's putting this together. And he's taking the Pharisees to school. He brings up that this has never happened before. A blind man being given sight. Then, he argues that if a person who had been healed had not been from God, that the man could not do anything. There's a logic to what this man is saying. 
And it's not perfect theology that he's describing, but he gets it. And he doesn't understand how the Pharisees don't. If anybody should be able to understand and make these connections, it's the Pharisees. The reason should be obvious. But the Pharisees take the obvious and disregard it. They take the only thing that makes sense and they ignore it. How do they not see it? Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would teach us. And they cast him out. He struck the last nerve. Again, this man has said some pretty reasonable things. Do they want to engage with him? Do they want to be thoughtful? No. They say, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us the contempt that they have for this man. And they throw him out. Who are you? We follow Moses. You follow this guy that no one has ever heard of. How do you follow this supposedly godly person who can't even observe the day of rest? The story concludes in a final scene. Faith of the blind and the blindness of the Pharisees. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? That I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus comes up to this man. Remember, he's never seen Jesus, he was told to go away to the pool. After Jesus had put the mud in his eyes, and it was after that that the man had his sight. So he's seeing the Lord for the first time. Up until this point, the man had suggested that Jesus was a prophet. He didn't exactly understand who this man was, but he believed that Jesus was from God. He believed it to the point of not being intimidated by the religious leaders even to the point of being thrown out of the synagogue. The text says that he worshipped Jesus. This is the only place in the Gospel of John where Jesus is worshipped. People worship God in this Gospel, the Father. But only here is Jesus the one who is the direct subject of worship. Jesus discloses who he is to this man. And he trusts in him. This man has had his sight restored physically. But more importantly, he's been given his sight spiritually. Jesus came to give sight to a blind world. Verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, 
you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus says in verse 39, for judgment I came into this world. Again, that's not saying that the primary reason why he came was to judge. He came to give sight to the blind. But in the process of giving sight, there are people who wouldn't open their eyes. The judgment that Jesus is speaking of is dividing believers and unbelievers. People who will have faith in him and those who won't. Those who are blind and those who can see. There's no sitting on the fence with Jesus. The Pharisees in this passage at the end, they ask if they're blind. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They had knowledge of the law. But when the light was cast on the person to whom the law pointed, to him, they were blind. It's not that sin keeps your eyes closed. It's their refusal to accept that they need the light, that they need to see. It's their refusal to recognize Jesus for who he really is. We live in a blind world. And we can't see if we've never acknowledged our blindness. Jesus came to give sight to a blind world. There are people who can talk the talk spiritually, but who are really ultimately blind. That's what we so often see from the Pharisees. They talk a big game, but they don't know. I think this analogy helps. Imagine that you were going to start running. And so you buy running shoes. And you subscribe to runner's magazines. And you start wearing spandex, like, all the time. And then six months goes by. And you still haven't taken your shoes out of the box. You're not a runner. Having all the things a runner has doesn't make you a runner. Running makes you a runner. Just because we're in church or know the right biblical answers or listen to Christian music doesn't mean that we're really walking with faith and knowing the Lord. Just knowing a lot about the Bible doesn't mean we really have faith. The Pharisees knew the scriptures like we couldn't believe. But they were ultimately clueless about God. They thought they knew. That's really what the last verse of this passage is getting at. If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But they're the ones who think they can see. Sometimes the hardest people to share the gospel with are the people who don't think they need it because they think they already have it. They're not guilty of anything that we haven't all been guilty of at one point. For all of us, we are either currently blind or we were blind. And the fact that we see is because of the grace of Christ. It's because of Jesus. As we wind down, I want to focus on this man whom Jesus healed. As I keep saying, Jesus came to give sight to a blind world. 
But when a blind person is given sight, that's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. I think of the man I referenced in the beginning, Mike May. The man who was blinded as a child. He's been studied and part of research. When a person is blind and they're given sight, it's not simply flipping a light switch. I think that's kind of how we imagine it and probably how we think of this story. But we have two eyes. And when we look at something, we're looking at that thing with two different eyes, two different points of view. But we don't think of it like that. We think of our eyesight more like a movie camera, just taking it all in. But the fact that I can look out to you guys with two eyes, and it makes sense, it's because my brain is doing the work of putting all of that together. And it's the same way for you guys looking at me. And it's just so natural to us that we don't even consider what's happening between our two eyes and our brain all working together to make sense of what we see. A newborn baby doesn't see the world like that. Your your brain has to develop and, and process putting all of that together. But since infancy, since before any of us can remember, that's all been worked out in our in our brain. And so we don't think about it. But imagine for just a moment being blind and then receiving sight. You've never seen anything before. When that first happens, you wouldn't have any depth perception because your eyes would not be working together. You wouldn't recognize different facial expressions from people. Again, with sight, there are so many things that we take for granted that we learn since infancy. You wouldn't have hand-eye coordination. You wouldn't know what was what. You'd be constantly exposed to new stimuli with which you had no familiarity. And so many other things would change your life. Sight is something that you're given once. Jesus opens our eyes. He opens our eyes that he is the way to God. And at that we can see. And you can see the cross. And you can see that he is the savior of the world. He opens our eyes to that. We're blind but given sight. But the journey doesn't end there. It's not the end, it's just the beginning. Because our eyes are opened to the gospel. But the rest of life is learning how to make sense of a world where we can now see. Learning what's what. Learning how to live as someone who can see. Learning how to walk in his light. Jesus came to give sight to a blind world. It can be easy not to want to believe something. That's what we continually saw in this story from the Pharisees. They had the personal account of a man who had been born blind, but who was given sight. They had no explanation for how Jesus could perform this miracle. And then undermine what he had done because it was the Sabbath. They confirmed with his parents that he had been born blind. They asked him again. 
Everything they had pointed to what Jesus had done in this man's life. It fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. Still, that wasn't enough. They kept searching for flaws when they couldn't find any. And instead of engaging with this man, they threw him out in anger. Instead of worshiping Jesus as this man, they continued to hate him. Because they weren't looking for the truth. They weren't looking to have their eyes opened. Jesus is the Lord. The evidence points to him. The heavens declare the glory of God. And he came into a blind world to give sight. He came to a spiritually blind world to give spiritual sight. It's a world full of blind people. Blind to God. Blind to Jesus. Blind to the gospel. The love of God. The grace of our Lord. Blind to the truth. Blind to the light. Blind to the sin that the light shines on. Jesus explained this to the Pharisees, and yet they still wouldn't understand. Too many people in our world are blind to the reality of who Jesus is and what he did. But he came to open our eyes. Jesus is the God on earth who takes away the penalty of our sins. Infinite in his grace and goodness and glory. And he's calling on people to trust in him, to turn from sin, and to believe. Jesus came into a blind world to give sight. Open your eyes. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Son. And the sight that he came into the world to bring. Lord, to show us his glory, to show us the gospel to show us forgiveness and grace and love and truth. Lord, may we live as people who see that. And may we continue to live every day as people who see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.